0: The Gospel of Luke and Chapter 3. Let's talk a minute about stress. How about a happy thought to begin this time together in the Word of God? Our hearts have been encouraged as we've sung His praises and been reminded of who He is and what He can do and how He is worthy of our praise. But the truth of the matter is, we have this treasure in an earthen vessel, the scripture says. We have the life of Jesus alive in us, but the container for the life of Jesus can understand what it is to be stressed. Stress is not necessarily something that hits you like a tsunami, like a tidal wave just coming in all at once. Stress is something that just has a way of just kind of gnawing on you, you know? Just kind of chewing on you. It, it doesn't, it just doesn't seem to go away. It's a, it's a relentless point of pressure or two or three or four. The result of which can be it takes our wind away. We lose our wind. We lose the the heart to want to keep going, to want to keep climbing, to want to keep serving, to want to keep doing. We just get tired. We, We just get tired of the stress, tired of the stress. Well, since that seems to be somewhat of a relevant topic to this group this morning, I, I, I want you to join me in, in looking at how to get your wind back when stress has taken its toll. Now, don't be listening to this for somebody else. I wish she was here, or I wish he had shown up. We're not, we don't really legitimately feel the stress for somebody else. We, we, we feel it for ourselves. So I would encourage you to just, in all honesty, we won't be sharing these points of stress with the group, but what is it that, that really can weigh on you? What is, what, is, what is the point of pressure? What are the points of pressure? that seem to be relentless. And and to understand that stress has a way of warring against, obviously, peace, has a way of warring against trust. And it's important that as believers, as followers of Jesus in this life, we understand the mechanics of the steps toward Getting our wind back. It it doesn't matter if you are a LeBron James, spiritually or otherwise. LeBron James has to sit down. It may not be before a minute and 30 seconds out of the whole game, but he's going to sit down. James Hardy is going to sit down to get his wind back. You're not as good as you would be if you didn't have your wind back. So that's where we look this morning. In order to do that, we we need to back up and, and lay something of a foundation for what can be called the person and work of the Holy Spirit. For a follower of Jesus, someone who's been born again, someone who knows Jesus, trying to walk with Jesus, we understand that our ability to keep going, our ability to recover from things that have stressed us, depleted us, the source of that recovery is not going to necessarily come in a substantial form, a lasting form, from this life, from things down here. That we're going to have to get it from that other place, from that, from that other world, from, from the one who has said that he will restore our souls. So I ask you to go with me first to Luke chapter 3. And look at verse 15, Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, verse 15. While the people were in a state of expectation and all were wondering in their hearts about John, John the Baptist, as to whether he might be the Christ, John answered and said to them all, As for me, I baptize you with water, but one is coming. Who is mightier than I, and I'm not fit to untie the thong of his sandals, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John says, I baptize you with water. It gets the outside of you and your clothing sopping wet. But that's not the main baptizing. The main baptism, he would say, Can only come from one person. And he gives this singular point of identification to mark the Messiah when he comes. As if he say, You will know the Messiah when he comes, because he will have this ability. He will be able to do this. I baptize with water to get the outside wet, but the one who's coming will have the ability to drench your insides with his spirit and with fire. You will know that you've met the Messiah. The church, hear this. Those of us who call ourselves Christians, hear this. Hear this. Let this in. This is foundational. You will know that you have met Jesus. You have met the true Messiah because he will drench you. He'll drench the insides of, he will drench your spirit with his spirit and with fire. With fire. So so that's very important. You'll identify the Messiah because he will baptize with the spirit of fire. You'll know you've met the Messiah. You'll know he's alive in you you'll know Jesus truly is the Christ on the inside because he has drenched your spirit with his spirit and with fire. All right? Amen. 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 All right, go to to the Gospel of John. Gospel of John chapter 3. Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, one of the rulers of the Jews who knew the Bible, the Old Testament at least, backwards and forwards. He came to meet Jesus secretly, privately. Verse 3, John 3:3. 3, 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? He can't enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, water being physical birth, spirit being spiritual birth, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And look at verse eight, the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who was born of the Spirit. And he's speaking of the marked element of spontaneity and unpredictability, in a sense, about someone who is born of the Spirit. But here, here's what I want to show you. The same word translated wind at the first of verse 8, the wind is exactly the same word that is translated the spirit in the last of that verse. Pneuma is the Greek word. Here are three words that can be plugged in in the place of that Greek word. Wind, breath, spirit. The wind blows wherever it wishes. Skip on that. so is everybody. So is everyone who is born of the wind. The word spirit can can be a word, and maybe it's just from an English standpoint, our cultural colloquial kind of dealing with things. We're not. What do you what is spirit? What 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 is that? We can offer some definitions. But that word wind, we may have a little bit more of a grip on or a bit easier to understand. But what about this one? Breath. Breath. John said, Here's how you'll know the Messiah. I baptize you with water, but there is one coming who will baptize you, who will drench you with the holy breath and fire. Uh, Hold on to that and turn a few more pages over. Jesus in John chapter 20. John chapter 20, verse 19. Jesus has been crucified, buried, raised from the dead. He's now appearing to his disciples. John chapter 20, verse 19. When therefore it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, When the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples, therefore, rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus, therefore, said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you, and then listen to this. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the holy breath. Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the holy breath. Now, if somebody was going to breathe on you, and they're going to stand at the back door 100 feet from here and say, I'm fixing to breathe on you. <sighs> well, you would say to them, you are wasting your breath because I can't feel it at that distance. Folks, folks, when the Lord, when it says of the Lord that he will fill us with his holy breath, He's speaking of something that can only be done in close proximity. He gave the the law to Moses, wrote it in stone. You could see those tablets. You could even read the words maybe with binoculars at that distance. You, You could set them up there. But you don't feel his breath unless he's close to you. When we've lost our breath, when we've lost our wind, and there is the need for us to get our wind back, we ought to understand from the Scripture that it is the heart of God to draw near to you so close that there is the sense of his very breath becoming the air that you breathe. And it having its impact on the inside of you. You you, you can't even approach the subject of the Holy Spirit and just use it in terms of some academic pursuit, some theological study to work through, and then you've mastered it because you've gotten all of the gifts of the Spirit down, the various ways the anointing of the Spirit would be manifest, or the ones who were used of the Spirit. None of that is complete. Jesus was not described as the one who would anoint particular ones or who would just be used to give Scripture to be recorded. John said, here's how you'll know that you've met him. Here's how you'll know that he's the real one is because he will put within you his very breath you can't do that from a distance you can't do that on the basis of just information quantified and codified and some sort of legal apparatus you feel the breath you are impacted by the breath or you haven't been touched at all hallelujah oh my goodness oh my goodness the God out of heaven, the Holy One, desires for those on this earth washed in the blood of the Lamb, forgiven, set free, guilt removed, price paid. But he wants those of his own possession to feel and know the sense of his presence with them and for us as his children who have begun to taste of that knowing the life and knowing the sense of strength and knowing this different dimension of who we really can be on the basis of his breath inside us his spirit filling us when there was the sense of that being lost when there was the sense of that being diminished we register the absence We we, we know something is missing when we've lost our wind, and we want that wind back. I want you to go with me over to the book of Acts now. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, that familiar passage, you shall receive power, Jesus speaks. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, You shall be my witnesses. You'll you'll bear witness of me, both in Jerusalem. Now, that's an important statement he gives them. In Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. That that was an answer to a question. They had said, Lord, is it at this time that you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? Is is this the time when all the puzzle pieces prophetically are going to come together? Is it going to happen in our lifetime? where where nations are going to properly align and Israel will have its international credentials back and so forth and so forth and so forth. And Jesus responds by saying, it's not for you to know times or epochs, times in which those things will happen, epochs in which events will be completed on the whole scheme of God's plan of things. It's not for you to know those things have been fixed by the Father's authority. But here's what you are to know. Whether the nations align or not, whether Israel gets recognized in its form of glory or not, whether things change and become more peaceable or not, here's what you need to know. You shall receive power when the holy breath of God comes upon you. And regardless of what hasn't changed on the face of the earth, Still in that place, you will be able to bear witness of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part of the earth. Well, the day of Pentecost came. Ten days later, I waited in the upper room. The fire of God fell, the wind, a mighty rushing wind, breath. The fire of God fell, and all those in the upper room, 120 or so, were filled with the Spirit, filled with the holy breath of God. And the result was, they went out from that place in boldness, with fire in their hearts, and they began to bear witness of Jesus. And Jesus had said that the Spirit, when he comes, will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. So conviction fell upon the city. Those who were hearing the testimony, it wasn't just Peter preaching, there were 120 giving testimony. Peter was the loudest voice maybe, speaking to the biggest group. But they were all bearing witness of Jesus because the breath of the living Christ was possessing them and working in and through them. 3,000 folks come to know the Lord on that day. But I want you to look at verse 38, Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 9. This is at the conclusion of Peter's prayer. Now, we're going somewhere with this, but this needs to be foundationally established in our understanding. Peter said to them, verse 38, Repent, and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call to himself, repent, be baptized, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children. What's the promise? What's the promise? The promise is not that Christ would come. That had already happened. The promise is that God would send his spirit to possess those who would believe in Jesus. Now that the temple of the believer has been cleansed by the blood of Christ, Now there's the opportunity for somebody different, some other presence to possess the inner person of the believer. Instead of it being himself or the devil or the culture around, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, Paul says. The temple in which the breath of the Lord possesses and brings to life his spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The the wonderful thing about that, the promise is for you, not not just for the ones that you hear testifying, not just the 120. The promise was not just for them. The promise of that kind of amazing power and joy and confidence was not just for Peter, James, and John for all God's children, for every last child of God, the promise is for you. Now folks, listen. Listen to me. Listen to me. I love you. Sometimes we sit and we hear this and we understand our promise, the promise that has been given, the privilege that has been given to us. The problem is not God. He's made the promise. He's given permission. The problem lies in whether or not you will claim your promise. Whether or not you will take possession of that which the Lord has promised to you. And I got to just say to you, stress, as much as we hate it, (laughs) can become an awesome blessing, a doorway into the freedom and the power of the new you the new identity that is yours in Christ as the breath of God possesses you. If stress can wear us out, bring us flat to the end of ourselves where we're willing to say, stick a fork in me, I'm done. I'm out of here. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't like her. I don't like it. I don't like that. I don't like they. I'm done. And yet we realize the Lord's plan for me. The Lamb's call, Lord's calling on my life is to somehow be a, be a light in a dark place, to be a beacon of kindness in a place of harshness. I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to do it anymore, Spirit. The Spirit has a way of using those things to draw us back to the place of saying, God. I've lost my breath. I've lost my wind. I don't want to do what you want me to do anymore. And instead of deciding to change occupations, instead of changing street addresses, we instead do what we find they did, Peter and John in Acts chapter 4. Turn back to the Lord. And the old song, that old wonderful song, Holy Spirit, breathe on me. Till I'm all thine own, Holy Spirit, breathe on me. Instead of trying to just kick it into determination gear and press on, to realize the honest truth is, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to take this anymore. I don't have heart for it anymore, but to realize that that happens when I lose my breath. That happens when I've lost my wind. And if I'm going to get my wind back, I'm going to have to be looking someplace other than laterally this way. And to look back up to the one who has said, I have given you the promise That when you're thirsty, I give water to the thirsty. When you're hungry, I give bread to the hungry. Or Paul would say, in the jail, in prison, in prison, I can do all the things that are assigned of me to do because of the one who is giving me strength. Okay, Acts chapter 4, find Acts chapter 4. A great crowd gathered after Peter and John were used of the Lord to heal the man who had been crippled since birth in the temple. And the man got up walking and leaping and praising God and great crowd gathered and we, we were on this last week and Peter preached to the crowd, explained to them it's not our power, it's the power of Jesus Christ. Well, because there was such a crowd, there was such a an outbreak of wonderful spiritual refreshment coming into the city, but the religious leaders were jealous of that, didn't like it at all, so they, they sent the temple guard to arrest Peter and John. I'm going to just jump in to Acts chapter 4. Let me just read this. This is one of the most exciting and more, most um, realistic treatments of, of, of how servants of the Lord can find themselves in a place of being mighty use of the Lord, then quickly being turned on by the opponents, and then finding themselves in the need for God to just fill them up one more time, to give them another fresh filling of his spirit. Verse 1, chapter 4, and as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard And the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them, put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed. And the number of the men came to be about 5,000. That's plus the 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. And it came about on the next day that their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas the high priest was there, and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent. Keep this in mind. The cast of characters has not changed. These were the same ones who were present and who were party too, the leveraging of capital punishment at the hands of the Romans against Jesus of Nazareth. This was the group. These were the A-listers. These were the ones who were known because of their lineage and who were also recognized as being in the hip pocket with, in bed with the Romans. They were powerful men. Peter and John, it was in the company of this group, though outside, not actually face to face with them, that it was in the set in Caiaphas' house, where Simon Peter denied the Lord, denied that he even knew Jesus three times. But that was before the breath of God filled him and turned him into the man. That only the breath of God inside him could cause him to be. So here we have him in that, before that council. When they had placed them, verse seven, when they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? I want you to notice, it's translated, they began to inquire. When they'd placed them in the center, they began to inquire that means that it was not just one question or one brief body of questions or one short period of questioning it was a prolonged process they had them in the front and from every direction potentially there were questions being thrown and opinions being stated and pressure being exerted to intimidate peter and john by what power or in what name have you done this? But Peter, then Peter, here's the word, filled with the holy breath, filled with the holy wind, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled, not just partially touched by, not just a little dab here and a little bit there, filled saturated, permeated, overflowing with the holy breath of God. He said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man had been made well, let it be known to all of you. Now, he wasn't speaking to thousands. He was speaking to that little crowd, that little group of the high and mighty that little group of the ones who had had the ability to leverage the Romans to do their bidding. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which has become the very cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Now you keep in mind who he was saying that to, who he was talking to. He wasn't preaching to the choir. He was preaching to the executioners, Literally in a very real sense, who had the ability to turn the same force and authority that used against Jesus, to turn it on him and John. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John, and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were marveling and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. In verse 13, the word confidence appears. In verse 29, the same word appears, translated confidence. In verse 31, the same word appears, but it's translated boldness. Repeatedly, one of the marks of the breath of God Filling a life is contained in this descriptive term, confidence. But I want to give you a working definition of what that word means. At its core, at its root, it means freedom. Freedom. Now, as they observe the freedom of these men, free from the fear of intimidation by the powerful ones that wanted to have them for supper. It was as if they were oblivious to titles, position, or connection. Now, as they observed the freedom, the freedom. Paul said it. The Lord is the spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, Amen. there's freedom. Well, now look, look, it was the same cast of characters. It was still Annas and Caiaphas and all those others. The, the, the list of characters hadn't changed. Their, their power and influence hadn't changed. Nothing had changed. And in the middle of all of that static, hostile, situation, the Spirit of God so filled two men that they were absolutely free of the intimidation coming from their surroundings, free, freedom. Folks, it's rooted in the freedom that comes to us because of the cross of Jesus Christ. The freedom that comes to us in knowing that because of what Jesus did for me, for you on the cross, in my my place for his sin, for for my sin. Wait a minute. Let me get that all straight. He's dying in my place for my sins. Not sins he's committed. But on the basis of that, settling within my heart, guilt is gone. Shame is gone. I'm standing before God with a clean conscience, with with hope now in my heart, with the sense that He loves me. Paul will say it is the love of God that is shared abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The holy breath of God operating in you will convince you of the love of God for you. It'll convince you that you're forgiven, you're set free, that guilt is gone. Shame has no place. That's that's at the root of the breath of God filling us. And folks, on the basis of that, you can stand and look at somebody who hates you down to the soles of your feet and who has the ability to do things hurtful for you and look into their face And speak of the things that the Lord would give you to say. It may not be this kind of boldness about the person of Christ, but it may be some aspect of truth that he's put within your heart to say. They can accept it. They can reject it. They can go to sleep in the middle of it. But your heart is free. No fear. No hesitation. No feeling like you've missed out on a blooming thing. As they observe the confidence of Peter and John. Well, you go down and seeing the man, verse 14, seeing the man who had been healed, standing with them, with Peter and John, they had nothing to say in reply. But when they ordered them to go outside the council, they began to confer with one another and saying, What, what do we do with these men? The fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is. Apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may not spread any further among the people, let us warn them. You know, obviously they didn't get it, that these two guys were not scared of them. They weren't listening to them. They wouldn't abide by any counsel that had been given to them. But so lost and blinded by their own sense of importance that we'll just tell them to not say anymore, not talk anymore. Well... Free of that fear, verse 19, Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking what we've seen and heard. And when they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which they might punish them on account of the people, because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. For the man was more than 40 years old on whom the miracle of healing had been performed. Now look at verse 23. How to get your wind back. How to get your wind back. How to get your wind back. That is presupposing that the points of pressure applied on the human side of Peter and John took some toll, perhaps, in their flesh. Spirit is willing. Flesh is weak. When they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Now here's something I want you to notice. They didn't text an Uber for Galilee. Get me out of Jerusalem. I don't want to be here anymore. They didn't leave town. Jesus had said, my power on you will equip you, will enable you to bear witness of me in Jerusalem they understood their assignment was there they understood somehow in their spirit that they didn't have permission at that point in time to flee they didn't run away but they did run to their it says their own to the brothers and maybe the sisters that they'd been apart from from for a while, that they had had to endure what they were enduring, just the two of them. They'd spent a night in jail. They'd had no telling how many hours of interrogation and accusation and threats placed against them. But instead of running, their their hearts were drawn toward the people of God. Folks, I just want to say to you, when you've lost your wind or you're about to lose your wind, one of the powerful and consistent ways that God uses of refreshing us is by bringing us into the companionship of folks who understand what it is to need a fresh filling of the Spirit. It, 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 these, their own, that, that meant, that's just a loaded word, own in the sense of shared everything. That they wouldn't be trying to get them out of town. They wouldn't be trying to talk something into, the, into their thinking that, that wasn't consistent with God's heart. They were ones who understood what it meant to be filled with the Spirit and to go in His power and to walk in His love and to stand tough when you wanted to chicken out. went to their own. You can can go to good friends, and you can go to folks who have known you a while. You can go and do whatever you do on on the Internet trying to get encouragement. But, oh, folks, God has you in the place of connection with folks who love you, who know you, and who they themselves have experienced what it is to be filled with His power. And then to be drained and to be weakened, but then to know how to pray. Know how to pray. Not just cope, not just get by, but to be able to believe God that he can fill me up so I won't enter the fight again. That he'll fill me up. He'll breathe on me so that I want to enter the fight again if need. They went to their own. And then they gave an honest assessment. They reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And then it says, and when they heard this, everybody who was in the hearing of those two men giving their report, all of them together, they lifted their voices to God with one accord, with one heart, with one sense, and they began to say things back to the Lord that were just reviewing the history. But they prayed. They went to prayer for. Them. I'm just to tell you, there are some things that you won't make it through. You, you, you'll make it through I'm change that. You, you'll get through. you'll limp along through on your own. There are some settings, and sometimes where the pressure is so great, and the stress is beyond words, that God's plan, God's plan is for his people to pray with you and his people to pray for you. So that not only do you get helped, but the ones who prayed for you get help. You know, Jim, Jim McNeil, we, we thought he was dead and gone to heaven and passed out with no pulse, no no heartbeat, right in front of the sound table at our last first Wednesday out, out on the back porch. And he was flat of his back on concrete for about, seemed like 20 or 30 minutes with grown men trying to get his heart going again. and ER and Fire people and SAPD all showed up, and our guys had been working on them for 10 minutes before they got there. We, Jim's 79 years old. color of death, gray, not breathing, not moving. And all we could do was just was just start praying. Lord, we agree with you. We agree with you. We, we didn't feel like we we're supposed to rebuke. Death and cancel out some of this. Lord, He lived a long life. You calling Him home, we agree with you. But if you want to leave Him here, and then we just speak, began to speak the name Jesus over him. Jesus, loud, Jesus, 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 Jesus. They they, hauled, they finally hauled Him off, got a little slight pulse going again, hauled Him off to Samsi. I waited all night to hear the call coming from some of our folks. Well, Jim's gone on, he's, he's in heaven, and we'll just be celebrating, we'll get with the family and put the service together. That's how dead I thought he was. <laughs> call didn't come anytime that night. I was up and down, but what look at it in my phone? Daylight comes. Daylight starts coming through the eastern <laughs> Look at my phone again, still no call. I finally ended up calling one of our guys and said, What about Jim? They said, well, they're going to to take him off life support before noon and and going to see if if he makes it. He's got a little bit of something. See if he can be hard to keep beating on his own. (laughs) I called back about noon and said, well, Pastor, he's breathing on his own. He's awake, and he's complaining that his chest hurts. Well, I said his chest ought to be hurting. I had six grown men standing on it trying to get it going again. We've changed his name officially to Lazarus, Lazarus, Lazarus McNeil. Now here's, I I, I got way off track there, but maybe you needed to hear that too. What happened was it wasn't just that Jim got a prayer answered, because I don't know where he was. I asked him, where'd you go, Jim? He said, man, I don't know. I was out. I I don't remember what thing you said. It was after a wonderful message to the men. He couldn't remember a thing that happened. just went out. But it wasn't just Jim, it wasn't just his wife, but every man who was under that porch and who saw what happened to Jim, and then remembered that we were called together to pray, shoulder to shoulder, linking arms over what we thought could have been a dead man or about to die man. Jesus, we agree with you. Jesus, we agree with you. This morning, this morning in the early service, he sat right there where Alita was sitting. Right there. Got him up on the platform and had him tell a little bit of his story. There are some things that God waits to do for you until the ones who participate in the miracle. Are in place. Well, I got to hurry on through this, but they prayed and they went over. Oh Lord, is, this is verse twenty-four. Lord, it is Thou who didst make the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Who, by the Holy Spirit, through the servant of the mouth of our Father David, Thy servant, did say, "Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand against." And the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ, continuing in their prayer. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against thy holy servant Jesus, whom thou didst anoint both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. Look, to do whatever thy hand and thy purpose predestined to occur. You need some folks praying with you who have their heart anchored and settled into the sovereignty of Almighty God. That our lives are not just being bounced around by a bunch of whims and a bunch of blasts of wind from here then yonder, but ultimately God has a plan. God has a timing. God has a goal. God has a way. Nothing slips through his grip. You need folks who can join with you in that place of faith not folks who just increase your doubt or just cater to, oh, it's just so hard what's happened to you. It's just so pitiful what you're going through. You know, you know somebody, that, that's fine, that's fine, that's fine in a sense. But sometimes you weren't necessarily convinced that you were that pitiful or you were that sad off or this place necessarily that hard. But by the time they got through talking to you, you, you just think you're lower than the worm. Just, just, just crawling around on your belly Well, that's not who you are. It may be hard, and it may be lonely, and it may be tough for a while, but God is going to finish what he started in you. God causes all things to work together for the good of those who are called by his name and who love him. He's going to finish what he started in you. Come hell or high water, it doesn't matter who the Sanhedrin is, who the governmental leaders are. It doesn't matter that. God's going to finish what it is. You need some folks saying that to you in words you can understand, getting close enough, breathing that into your ear. You're not going to die here. God's got a plan. Give him time. Give him time. Give him time to do whatever thy hand purposed and predestined to occur. And then verse 29, they continue their prayer. Now, Lord, take note of the threats and grant that thy bond servants may speak thy word with all confidence there's that word again with all freedom freedom that leads to boldness freedom to say whatever you needed to say freedom with all confidence while thou dost extend thy hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of thy holy servant, Jesus. The two parts of that prayer, basically, Lord, will you give us what we need to do our part? What's that? Boldness, freedom. Will you give us the freedom back? The reason this is so important is that it stands to reason that somewhere between the time that Peter and John walked out of that encounter with those interrogating officials, and this point, they were needing to be filled all over again. But their flesh, understandably so, weary, long days, long nights, intense pressure, threats put against them. Good news is, the Lord knows between the day and glory, we're liable to lead Thousands and thousands and thousands of fillings of the Holy Spirit. Well, when when do I need one? When you want to quit. When you want to give up. When you've had enough. When you're feeling it isn't fair, it isn't right. All that may be true. But those things were true when you were walking in the fullness of the Spirit. What changed? My, my flesh got to getting stronger and my spirit got to get weaker and I I need you to breathe on me, Jesus. I need you to breathe on me, Jesus. How, how many breaths have you got to take between now and dark? Lots of them. Breathe on me, while thou dost extend thy hand to heal. Lord, you do what only you can do. You heal. You you accomplish your work. Set us free. Set us free. We're not asking you to change our street address. We're not asking you to send us back to Galilee. Jerusalem, where you put us. Jerusalem's where we'll stay. Jerusalem is the place of your anointing for us. This is where we will be. But Lord, we need you to breathe on us. Just like you have before. Fresh strength. Fresh joy. Freshly knowing I'm loved. I'm chosen. I'm picked out. I'm wanted. Freshly knowing God has a plan for my life. They weren't going to get that in the strongest way from each other. They sure weren't going to get it from their critics. The only one who could do it was the one who had said, Receive ye the Spirit. And he breathed on them. I wonder how many times the disciples went back to that encounter in John 20 when they were out of breath, when they didn't know what they could go on and they remembered physically, literally, Jesus in front of them going, receive ye the holy breath. It may, it may not ever be a lightning bolt or an earthquake, a bomb going off, still, small voice. You remember the prophet? He wasn't in the earthquake, he wasn't in the wind, but he was a still, small voice. Receive ye, Holy Spirit. Sometimes we're so comfortable in our stresses, that's just, it's just defined our lives. I'm just, you know, this is my issue, this is my issue. The, the, the thought seems to be beyond the ability to comprehend, that without my shoe size changing, without anything in the natural adjusting, there could come to be such a change in me that there is freedom to the extent that these points of stress of stress don't own me like they used to own me. These, these guys still were in their chairs of authority. These, these guys, they, they were, nothing really was going to change, wouldn't change. Nothing in the outside, nothing in the circumstances changed. But what changes is when he breathes into you his very life. And I, I'm, I just get so weary. That well, I, this just this, this cranial thing, this cranial Christianity. Well, I've got that figured out. I got this verse. I know, this, I know about this. give me a break. If you don't have joy, you can't make it up. If you don't have peace, it doesn't matter how many verses you know on the subject of peace. If you don't have freedom. If you're not walking in release, it doesn't matter how much you know you ought to be. In fact, that can just make us feel guilty. So where's it gonna come from? How is it going to be transferred from theory into reality? True theory into reality. It is only by means of the Spirit of God breathing it into life. I'm gonna just tell you, one size doesn't fit all. Shirley Shirley has a different way of receiving things than I have of receiving things. And wives, you just got to watch that. She says, well, my husband, he doesn't do his quiet time like I do my quiet time and he doesn't have that. You better watch that, sister. Brother, she's not going to be exactly like you're going to be. And there may be some things about her that you ought to emulate, imitate, but you're a man, she's a woman, God knows the difference, thank goodness. Amen. And he knows how to breathe into men. Refreshment. And the assurance that they're loved and that they're forgiven. Just as he knows how to bring that, breathe that into, into women. So the, the end of this message today, the end of this, kept you a little long. Stress is where you've been. I mean, it could be. Medical family business whatever just but but the the places of pressure Jesus breathe on me breathe on me breathe on me be, instead of trying to find something else to do or something else to work on just 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 try that for a Spell, you know where I am, Lord. I don't want to go on. I don't like this. Things were unfair. Fill in your list. But then say back to him, Lord, breathe on me. My heart is open to you. I open my heart to you. Breathe on me. Breathe on me. I baptize you with water, John said. But there is one coming who is mightier than I. And he, when he comes, will baptize you with the holy breath and fire. May it be. Amen. May it be, Lord, we look to you with our eyes fixed upon you, not to the left, not to the right. Give us the ability to turn out other voices that don't spur us on in the direction of seeking you singularly and solely. And our prayer as we close this time. And may it be the prayer that's in our hearts and on our lips as we leave this place. Lord Jesus, breathe on me. We're reminded of Evan Roberts' prayer that he taught the church in Wales in 1904. Same theme. Send the Holy Spirit. Send the Holy Breath. Send the Holy Spirit for Christ's sake. May it be in our nation, in our city, in our state, in our families, in our lives personally. Breathe on me, Lord. Breathe on me, Lord. Breathe on me, Lord, is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.